this morning, um, we're going to talk, uh, the message is, uh, I, haven't, I haven't come up with the exact title. One, Jesus slept. You know, and so some people heard the message and they stayed in bed. <laughs> you heard of holy rollers, right? They're the people who uh, wake up in the morning, say, I'm holy enough, hit the clock and roll over and go back to sleep. So they're not going to go to church, you know. <laughs> so, but anyhow, then the other message is peace be still. So one of those two titles, Jesus slept or peace be still, and we know um, is that Jesus in Matthew chapter 8 is calming the storm. So whenever we think of peace, um, we think of a calm, a freedom from disturbance. <laughs> or peace, a greeting among friends. Peace be with you. <laughs> peace of God be with you. And so we, I think of peace as something that is, hopefully that we long for, peace in our world and in our nation and between enemies and conflicts and things like that. We, how do you arrive at peace? Well, some philosophies are that you have to arrive at peace through strength. And so we find that strength in Jesus Christ. And there is none greater than he, and he is our strength. And so the peace that we have within our hearts and lives is greater is he that is in us and you than he that is in the world. So it's from that peace that God has established or got, purchased for us that we can be at peace. So... Um, in many teachings, um, the, moments between the moments between Jesus and his disciples, um, there are um, many situations as we go through the New Testament, and, and, and all of them are not, are not spoken to us, but there was this um, time in Matthew chapter 8 that we're looking at, which the disciples were, they were on the sea, and going across the Sea of Galilee, and um, the storm came up, and they are afraid, and uh, Jesus does something that he is capable of doing at any moment at any time. So let's read Matthew chapter 8, verse 23. Then he got into the boat, and his disciples followed him. Suddenly a furious storm came upon the lake, so that the waves swept over the boat, but Jesus was sleeping. So if you're familiar with Israel... <laughs> And the Sea of Galilee, it's, the Sea of Galilee has a mountain range that uh, is towards the Mediterranean. And, and this mountain range goes, you know, it goes, it's like the gap we have here in Johnstown. You know, the gap, you know, between the two mountains. Well, in, in, in Sea of Galilee is something like that, that there is the mountains and then all of a sudden there's a drop off into a valley and then another high area not too far to the other side. And so the winds from the Mediterranean Sea come across with no hindrances, hit that mountain, and then they don't just go over the mountain. It's funneled, as it were, down to this valley. And that valley is like the bottom of a funnel that funnels right onto the Sea of Galilee. So whenever a storm comes from, this, from the Mediterranean, that everything can be peaceful and fine, and then all of a sudden it's, it's all devastating and winds and storms and the, the seas and, you know, roaring and people die <laughs> on the sea. So that's what happens in this situation. And these types of storms are common. And the disciples, they are experienced fishermen. <laughs> so they should be aware of this. But so this fishing boat that Peter and the other disciples are in is at the point of sinking 
the waves are crashing over the, over the bow, and, and the, the fishing boat that they have is not an ocean liner. <laughs> it's probably 25, 30 feet long, if that, and 10 or 15 feet across, and it's big enough for all of them. I don't think they all had life vests at that time, but uh, <laughs> they were very afraid, frightened, at what was going to happen. They were frightened that they were going to sink. So with experienced fishermen, you would think they would, be, they would not be so frightened. Okay? Verse 25. The disciples went and woke him, saying, Lord, save us. We're going to drown. <laughs> so Jesus is sleeping in the boat. Either he is a sound sleeper or he's faking it. <laughs> I don't, he's not faking it. But uh, so the boat isn't that big so that he's, you know, he's under a canvas or on the lower deck, <laughs> you know, and not experiencing all of this. He's on the, he's on the deck. There's not two decks. It's just a, a big, large fishing boat. And uh, so he's lying there sleeping. So we know that <laughs> he is very tired at, at all the things that he's, that he's been doing. And so he is there, and the disciples, they are afraid. And so what do they do is they go to Jesus and they wake him up and saying, Lord, save us, we're going to drown. Lord, save us or we perish. <laughs> That's Mark's gospel. They're, they're back there, you know, got to wake the master. We got to wake Jesus. Tell him we're going to die. <laughs> master, carest thou not that we perish? Basically what he's saying, they're saying, Jesus, don't you care about us? You know, I wonder if they were thinking... I wonder if he wants some new disciples. <laughs> this is a way to get rid of them, you know. These guys aren't going to make it. You know? So let's, let's uh, capsize this and Jesus can walk on water and go back to land and the rest of the guys can drown. You know, you didn't think of that, did you? <laughs> so I didn't think of it either. It was written in a book somewhere. But anyhow... <laughs> The idea is that they were afraid that they were going to drown, and, that, and they, so they went to Jesus, don't you care about us? Well, the analogies that we're going to look at here are, we're the boat, and Jesus is in us as our Savior, our friend. And sometimes our boats, <laughs> our individual lives, are in this sea that we think we're going to die from. The catastrophe, the waves, the storm that we are experiencing. And so inside we're questioning, why doesn't God do something? Why doesn't Jesus help me? Doesn't he care that I perish? See, that's what happens whenever we find ourselves in a very deep, difficult situation. And uh, we're doing our best. <laughs> we're doing our best to survive. And, but our best isn't good enough because the storm is too good, the boat is filling with water, and we're going to die. <laughs> God, do something more. <laughs> well, often with the disciples, rather than trading them in on a new group <laughs> and letting them die at sea, you know, what happened to your disciples? Oh, they fell overboard. <laughs> rather than getting a new group, he replied, verse 26, You have little faith. Why are you so afraid? See, perfect love casts out all fear, Scripture tells us. Fear has a way of causing us not to see the obvious. 
Fear has a way, um, and Zig Ziglar's acrostic, 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 fear, false evidence appearing real. So we have this fear that has come upon the disciples. Now their fear is very real, and it appears that they are going to drown. But the difference is Jesus is with them. So the challenge for us is to know that Jesus is with us. And that our fear may be very real, but Jesus is there and he says, Why are you so afraid? I'm with you. Now, then he got up and rebuked the winds and waves, and it was all calm. <laughs> oh, ye of a little faith. Luke puts it, Where is your faith? As though it all drifted away under the pressure of their fears. <laughs> They saw their, their faith just going overboard when the waves started filling up. So their faith went away because what they saw was so obvious. Jesus rebukes the winds and the sea. This seems to have been almost um, to be the Lord's formula in working miracles. He rebukes the wind, he rebukes the waves. In, in Luke chapter 4, verse 38, Jesus left the synagogue and went to the home of Simeon. Now Simeon's mother-in-law was suffering from a high fever, and they asked Jesus to help her, so he bent over her and rebuked the fever, and it left her. She got up at once and began to wait on the, on the disciples. It's, sometimes we look at this in the frenzy uh, of the sickness, the frenzy of the illness, the frenzy of what's going on in Mark chapter 9, verse 25, Jesus rebuked the impure spirit. You deaf and mute spirit, he said, I command you to come out. So sometimes we need to take charge of our fears. Sometimes we need to rebuke the fear and see how God is going to work through the situation. Many times we're trying to rebuke the situation and God's saying, no, I want this situation here because it has to teach you something, but you have to rebuke your fear so you can see what I'm trying to do. <laughs> so the challenge here is that we are to see how that God in us, with us, can rebuke that which is disturbing, that which is creating this tempest, this storm. There was a great calm, a great calm, we find that when Jesus um, touched, the, in Matthew chapter 8, verse 15, he touched her hand and the fever left her. She got up and began to wait on them. The work was at once instantaneously. It was complete. When Jesus spoke to the sea and the storm, it was gone. <laughs> it was like, boom. Boom. It was done. Storm was done. Sea was calm. There was no after effects. There was no lingering waves. There was no lingering wind. It was over. It was done. It was complete. And Jesus simply spoke to the wind and the waves. Sometimes our faith has to speak to what is before us and what is causing, bringing about the fear. First of all, we have to get rid of the fear and not be afraid. Then we have to look at what is going on around us and how that God is going to work in the situation. Verse 27, the men were amazed and asked, what kind of man is this? Even the winds and the waves obey him. The men marveled. <laughs> Why were they so at marveling? 
they had no idea of the greatness of the man in the boat. In our lives, we have to realize the greatness of Jesus Christ in our lives. <laughs> the greatness of God in your life. You see, that is what stabilizes us. That's what gives us this understanding of faith, of belief, of knowing that God is capable of anything and everything. And he can do anything and everything. And sometimes he tells us, you speak to the storm. <laughs> you speak to your fear. You determine that I, Jesus Christ, can handle the storm and the fear and, and all the things that are going on. But you must believe that enough to say it, to speak it. The presence among them was mightier than the storm. The presence of Jesus was greater than the storm. Greater than the wind. Greater than the sea. It was far beyond any human control. <laughs> the disciples couldn't do anything about it. They couldn't stop it. They just had to try and keep the boat from sinking, and they had failed at that, and so they called upon Jesus. The spiritual application of the miracle lies right here near the surface. <laughs> it's us. It's our life. <laughs> we sailing, as it were, through time, moving through time, from our birth to the time we go home to be in heaven. There will be times of the wind, and, and there will be times that the wind and the storms and the sea will be raging, and we think that we're going to sink. We think that it's all over. But sometimes Jesus, the Lord of our life, seems as though he were asleep. And I'm in this terrible storm. What is he doing? Where is he going with this? And then he who appears not to hear our prayers is awaiting an appointed time. You know, so much of our life has to reach an appointed time. It's just, you have to wait to your certain age and go through many grades to, be, to graduate. <laughs> it's an appointed time. And I remember it couldn't come soon enough. <laughs> I went out of this place. <laughs> and then I went to another place. <laughs> and then to another place. <laughs> and then we went to Maine, where God's frozen chosen. <laughs> we lived in northern Maine, where it was, it was not, didn't get above zero for six weeks. And you know, every day the kids went out for recess. They never called school off. I mean, you could get 20 inches of snow. Didn't matter. They still all went to school. Because they dealt with it. <laughs> and they didn't have all these roads and stuff. You know, they did have roads, but I mean, there's just main roads and so on. But wherever we are at, God is there. And he is there for a purpose and for a place and for a reason. And so no matter what we face, God is there. And Jesus steps forward in our life just as he woke up, as it were, from the disciples in the, in the boat. He woke up and he speaks to the storm. He speaks to the trials. And they cease. They're no longer a great threat. In Matthew's gospel, there is a, another storm on the Sea of Galilee. And Jesus comes walking on the water. This is another situation. And again, the disciples are in the storm, and they, they don't know if they're going to make it, but Jesus comes to them walking on the water. 
One, he's asleep in the boat, and one, he's all alone. They're all alone without him. Jesus comes walking on the water. In that situation, it's a whole different sermon, but in that situation, Jesus is walking on the obstacles that we're so afraid of. He's using them as his footstool. Be still, the work of God wants to complete is going on in our life, and it is reaching a time in which someday we'll be able to say it is finished. How then are these words, these same words, applied to the human heart and applied to our soul and to our mind? You know, um, I'm not much of a, a reader, but I, I know in, in Charles Dickens' A Tale of Two Cities, <laughs> the book ends with an intense and emotional, seldom expected uh, event. The two characters in the book are Carton, Cart, Carton and um, Denar, Denae, They look so much alike, they appeared as twins. They both fell in love with the same woman. This isn't a biblical story. This is Charles Dickens, okay? I just wanted you to know that, in case some of you were saying, what verse is that? (laughs) What chapter is he reading? (laughs) They both fell in love with the same woman. No, this is is Dickens, okay? Charles Dickens. All right, Lucy (laughs) is the woman that they love, and at the peak of the events... Uh, Darnay, now married to Lucy, is condemned to death by members of the French Revolution. Carton takes Darnay's place so Darnay may enjoy the rest of his life with Lucy and their daughter. As Carton is led to the guillotine, a priest utters, I am the resurrection and the life. Whosoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. He listens to that and Carton's Carton's last words are, it is a far, far better thing that I do than I have ever done. It is a far, far better rest that I go to than I have ever known. One innocent man took the place of a condemned guilty man. The Bible tells us that Jesus is the innocent man. He is completely pure and sinless. Yet he suffers and dies in our place. Jesus is the one in his one act of love, of sacrifice, is our sacrifice for our sin. He who knew no sin became sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God. He takes away our fear. We are in the boat. We are in the life. And God is with us. Jesus is with us. And he is there to take away our sin, wash us pure by the blood that was shed upon the cross. And he is there to help us understand fear has no place where his love is. We are to know that Jesus hasn't brought the disciples to this point to let them drown. He has not brought you to this place to let you fail. He motivates us to do something good. See, anger, anger is a legitimate emotion. It motivates us to do something. Some people are motivated to hurt, to hinder, to kill, to destroy, and some people are motivated, it's a motivation to face the difficulty and deal with it in a healing way so that it no, no longer can be a destructive force. 
One of the things as I was thinking about this was Jesus and his being whipped, um, scourged. Isaiah, and we're going to read Isaiah, parts of Isaiah in a minute. But the scourging that Jesus went through. We know there was a movie a few years ago. um, What is it? The Passion. And we look at that movie and we see how that they depict Jesus being whipped and beaten in his flesh tore. That is a good description, but not a complete description. Jesus suffered 39 stripes, but 39 stripes with a catty nine tails. So catty nine tails is nine separate leather pieces connected to a piece of bone or metal. And they would have ripped the body of Jesus apart. Had the flogger not been skilled in what he did, he could have killed Jesus right there at this whipping post. But he flogged him and he flogged him and and he, you know, (laughs) ripped his flesh apart. But you know, Jesus, he stayed conscious. He should have allowed his um, self to go into a coma or into a, uh, you know, a crisis where... Uh, shock. He could have allowed himself to go into shock, but he would stay focused on his mission. And then we know that he was buffeted. He was beaten. It'd be like a punching bag that they had done to his face. They plucked out his beard and ripped out his beard. They put a crown of thorns on his head and they beat that crown of thorns down with palm branches. They just utterly destroyed the body of Christ. And Jesus maintained his, awake, his awakened state. And we look at this, and he carried his cross, but he didn't have enough strength to get it to Calvary. So when they nail him to the cross, Jesus is still in charge of his faculties because he stays conscious to be able to hear the cry of the thief, Today you will be with me in paradise. He is conscious of the fact that his mother is there and he tells John, behold your mother. Take care of, take care of my mother. Take care of her. He is conscious enough to ask for a drink. He is conscious enough to hold on to the very last moment when he says it is finished. You see, this is the God who works in our lives, who accompanies us in our boat. He's the one who is willing to take us and walk with us through the valley of the shadows of change and and difficulties. He is the one who is there to be our friend and our guide. And he will not let us, he will not let us simply drown in our events because he loves us. Isaiah 52, verse 13 As we read this, this is Isaiah's revelation of what happens in the Gospels that we have a picture of in the Gospels. We don't have a complete picture, but here it is outlaid for us. See, my servant will act wisely. He will be raised and lifted up and highly exalted. Just as there were many who were appalled at him, his appearance was so disfigured beyond that of any human being and his form marred beyond human likeness. That's where we get 
and we understand in the scriptures, he was buffeted, beaten. They plucked out his beard. That's what he, he was so disfigured. You know, when you read about the two on the road to Emmaus, walking with Jesus and they don't recognize him. Yeah, I think it's because they saw this image of Jesus that was so disfigured. That was the imprint of, the, of Jesus in their mind that it wasn't until Jesus broke bread with them and perhaps it was his prayer, perhaps it was the nail prints in his hands, whatever it was, they awakened and knew that that was Jesus and he disappeared. His form was marred beyond human likeness, so he will sprinkle many nations and kings will shut their mouths because of him. For what they were not told, they will see. And what they have not heard, they will understand. Who has believed our message and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? He grew up before him like a tender shoot and like a root out of dry ground. He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him, nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by mankind, a man of suffering and familiar with pain, like one from whom people hide their face. He was despised, and we held him in low esteem. Surely he took our pain, bore our suffering, yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by God, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him, and by his wounds we are healed. Sometimes we look at that and we say, oh, that's, that's for physical healing. It's, I, we believe both. It's for physical healing, but it's also for the healing from sin. The mars that sin has brought upon our life, it is there, God's wounds heal those things. We think that we can't forget or they're unforgivable what people did. God helps us. It isn't that we have this innate ability. God is the one who helps us to forgive. You know, when they were beating Jesus, I believe that Satan was so upset over losing his battle to overthrow God. He hated Jesus. And he took the hatred of the Romans and he fed that hatred. And so when they were beating Jesus, they hated him to the point that they were willing to rip him apart because he was a Jew, and because they didn't want to be there, and probably because they didn't even know why they were so furious and hateful. When God tells us to forgive, he knows exactly how far hatred can go. He knows that we, can, we cannot take hatred, we have to turn it over to God, or hatred will eat at us until it destroys. Jesus took the hatred of the devil himself as they whipped him to, you know, shreds. And he tells us, don't hate. I know what it can do. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way. And because of that, the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. Notice that in the storm, he rebuked the storm. Here in this situation, he opens not his mouth. 
He was like a, he led like the lamb to the slaughter, and the sheep before his shears is silent, so he did not open his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away, yet who of his generation protested? For he was cut off from the land of the living for the transgressions of my people. He was punished. He was assigned a grave with the wicked and with the rich in his tomb. He was placed in a borrowed tomb. Though he had, none, though he had done no violence, nor was a deceit in his mouth, yet it was the Lord's will to crush him and cause him to suffer. And though the Lord makes his life an offering for sin, he will see his offering offspring and prolong his days and the will of the Lord will prosper in his land or in his hand after he suffered he will see the light of life and be satisfied by his knowledge of righteousness servants will justify many and he will bear their iniquities therefore I will give him a portion among the great and he will divide the spoils with the strong because he has poured out his life unto death and was numbered with the transgressions. For he bore the sins of many and made intercession for the transgressors. <laughs> he ever lives to make intercession for us. He is seated at the right hand of the Father. And you see, as we go through the storms and Jesus is in our life, we have to remember fear has no place Hatred has no place. Love those. He died for us because he loved us. He who knew, knew no sin became sin for us. While we were yet sinners, he died for us. The just for the unjust. And so the beating that Jesus took from the Romans, all their hatred, Jesus knew firsthand what it was all about. It was more than just Romans. It was the hatred of evil for good. It was the hatred of all that was supposed to be good. Satan wanted rid of it. He wanted to throw, overthrow God, but he failed. And so he tries to convince us, his children, that you have no place in the kingdom. You've done this wrong. You've done that wrong. Satan tries to destroy us. But God has come to give us life. All we like sheep have gone astray. There isn't anyone who has not sinned. There isn't anyone who has rocked the boat. <laughs> there isn't anyone who hasn't felt that the boat would sink and that God wasn't listening. But you see, Isaiah, the most quoted book in the New Testament, he is our Messiah. He is our Savior. He is the one who conquers all. He is the one who can rebuke the storm and stand in silence as they are beating him and taking him to the cross because he loves us. He has the power to overcome. He has the power to defeat. He could have called 10,000 angels to destroy the world and start all over again. He could have created new disciples, let them all drown. <laughs> but he didn't let them to the storms. They knew where to go when the trials came they went to Jesus. No matter what you think God is doing, sleeping or not concerned, left ashore, he's someplace else, he's always near us, walking towards us, walking with us. He's always there hearing and listening and wanting to intercede. We are called upon 
to have faith. Faith enough to ask. <laughs> Jesus, we're going to drown. He calmed the storm. And he who knew no sin allowed himself to be the sacrifice for all mankind. Verse 50, chapter 55, verse 3. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And his wounds, we are healed. He is my peace. The peace of God that passes all understanding comes to us to heal our hearts, to heal our wounded spirit, to heal, to heal our soul. Jesus, we thank you that you did not get out of the boat. We thank you that you did not allow the boat to sink. God, we thank you that you did not leave us to our own devices. We thank you that you did not leave us to our problems and to our situation. God, you're able to rebuke the storm, but Lord, you're able to give us peace to stand. Because we will not live in fear. We will live in hope. We will not look at how bad wickedness has come. We will look at how good you are. And the goodness of God that touches our life through the Holy Spirit and through your word. Let us sense your presence that may we understand what you have done and come for us to establish our heart in peace. We thank you, Jesus, for hearing our prayer. We ask your forgiveness. We ask your grace and mercy to hold us close to you. We ask this in the name of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Be still and know that I am God. <laughs> Do not fear. He is not asleep. He knows exactly where you are. Amen? Amen.